0: and welcome to the White Girl Awakening podcast. I am the founder of White Girl Awakening, Jen Barnes, and I'm joined tonight by Dr. Vanetta West and Lauren Sellers, two of our team members here at White Girl Awakening. We are a community dedicated to curiosity, listening, and learning from people of color and working together to create a more loving life and wider and more diverse friendship tables. Today, we're talking about awakening to the margins and how our posture needs to shift as it relates to those in the margins of our society. So first off, when we talk about people in the margins, who is it exactly that we're talking about? And I'd like to start with you, Dr. West.
1: Who are the margins? Margins are, uh, it means on our peripheral. We're really not... Uh, paying attention to the circumstances of some groups of people. Um, And I believe those groups include folks, groups that are are marginalized for economic reasons, for racial reasons, class, um, ethnicity, uh, whether they're immigrants or not. It's uh, people who somehow, uh, in terms of hierarchy of importance, we've somehow pushed them out as society to areas where we don't have to think about our actions affecting them, or we're okay with our actions adversely affecting some groups. And I say we, you know, because I mean collectively, the things we're looking at, particularly in this nation, all of us have to determine at this point whether we're going to um, be apathetic about it or do something. I think it's
0: so important to, to actually discuss who are in the margins and where are the margins? Because I believe depending on where we come from, where we grew up, what our um, predominant culture is within us, we probably all have various ideas around the margins. And growing up, you and I, Dr. West and Lauren, actually, we were all on a call earlier this week. We were talking about the term, the biblical term, the least of these. And um, you actually had some really great insights into um, that term or that phrase being utilized when it pertains to marginalized groups or minority groups, for instance. Can you share that? Because it was so helpful for me to hear from you. Sure.
1: I really believe that the use of that phrase, of course, for us, comes from our faith perspective and our, you know, it comes from scripture where Jesus says in this translation, I just want to add that, in this translation of him speaking, that um, whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And what I believe he means when I look it up and study, um, the, in, what, it, what he said in Aramaic versus the interpretation is, those that have less than in some area, not these words that we use like, uh, uh, unfortunate, you know, things like that, that, that label people, he's talking about literally people who, for whatever reason, don't have as much as they need in order to survive. And so they're somehow dependent on society to some extent to care for them. And how do we treat people who are in that space with dignity and meet critical needs, but also say, how can we help Uh, build community in a way where they're no longer the least of these or are we satisfied with there always being a group of people designated as the least of these because we can start to feel good about that there are some poor little people i have to go help and sometimes that's what i'm hearing when i hear that language
0: oh my goodness and then that gets into some other topics that i think later down the road we're going to be releasing some um Guides to maybe doing mission work or service projects and things like that, um, and doing that in the posture of awakening that we talk about so much. So don't forget to check out our website and our social medias for that because it's coming. But thank you for sharing that. It was really helpful for me um, growing up in the South and in a predominantly white environment. We could have easily just because someone was part of a minority culture, consider them or coined them the least of these. And what you said to me that really helped me differentiate, it doesn't actually um, speak the fullness of what we're dealing with. I think margins is just a better word. Margins are marginalized in some way. So, To this end, and Lauren, you said some things that were really in our meeting this week. So I'll direct this question at you. Um, They were really profound about some service-related stuff that you had been engaged in and learned in this area about awakening to marginalized groups and areas. What are some questions we need to ask ourselves when we're thinking about the people in the margins?
2: Oh, man. There's so many, um, I think why are they there? Um, I think what calls them to be in the margins, what systems create in the margins, um, asking ourselves, um, what can I learn from them? I think that's been a huge yeah. shift for me is, um, not how can I help them, but how can I learn from them? What did they have to teach me about Jesus, about life? Um, I, I have been blown away about the faith I've seen in people in the margins. I've been blown away by the resilience. And the hope and um, just the grit of people living in the margins um, and what I've learned from them. So, what can I learn from them? Um, And just how can I listen to them? Um, What box did I put them in? Just, but it's not only questions that I need to ask about who they are and why they're there, but there are also questions I need to ask myself about how I see them, how I interact with them, um, the value I place on them. Um, There's a lot of things we need to ask ourselves. Um, Can,
0: Can you think of a moment that changed your own perspective about a marginalized group specifically?
2: And if well, I'm putting you
0: on the spot, I definitely can, but you're making me think of some things.
2: What well, actually changed my mind about the margin about marginalized groups were not marginalized groups, but the church. And let me explain. Um the prayer over my life would be that God would lead me to messy places, that God mm. would lead me to places that are difficult and hard and places that needed um, redemption and grace, and I always thought that meant the margins, and then I got involved in church work, and that was far messier, and I was like, oh, this picture of messy and needing redemption had always in my mind, and this is Disgusting and disturbing, but that person had always been a person of color or someone in poverty or someone struggling with indi- addiction. And all of a sudden, I got involved in church work, and the person my mind became the white woman in suburbia or the white pastor in the pulpit who um, had a hard heart. And so, what actually changed my posture towards the margins was not just interacting with the faith of the people in the margins but also interacting with the messiness of who we would say have power
0: man that's so good
2: it's a weird thing when now my da- it's i needed to be reminded that the definition of messy and broken looked a whole lot like me
0: mm, that's so good because
2: that'll take you off your moral high ground real quick
0: <laughs> it will
2: and you know for me
0: like I think of this moment. I've done a lot of work all over the world and in some ways I say you know God had to send me to Cambodia to really come back home and understand how messed up our systems here were because you, I could see it more raw and fresh there and um, long story about how I got there but I, I ended up in Cambodia <laughs> by myself for the first time I'd ever been there, I'd kn- I didn't know anybody, um, and I had connected with a local pastor there who was Cambodian, and when I met him, he said, hey, are you free tomorrow? I want to take you somewhere, and I was. I had a whole free afternoon, and um, so I went with him, and he said, I want to take you to the dump site where I'm trying to build a school, and I didn't know what the dump site was. and uh, what it was it was a landfill, and um, we we got about a half a mile away, and I started smelling some things coming, you know, this odor coming in through the air duct. You know, when you're driving in the car, and it, if it's on that cycle, sometimes you can smell the smells outside. And I started smelling it, and as we got closer, uh, I started realizing where we were, and um, I had I had done this trip planned it so quickly only two weeks before that I didn't take any shots or malaria or anything that the Western culture, you know, does before they go, go you there for, uh, and and make sure you're safe when you do it. You know, I didn't have all the time to do that. So um, when I got there, we pulled up to this community along the edge of this heaping pile um, of, of garbage that had come in from the capital city. And there were children all around greeting us and um, just these little little shack like aluminum structures, a clear community of people. They worked across the street in the landfill. And I, the, the smell that hit me when I came out of the, the doors, I wanted to get back in and tell them to just take me back because I just felt like I couldn't. I literally felt like I couldn't be there. Um, and then there were flies everywhere, landing on my skin, and I, I was just, I was feeling like, God, I know you sent me here, and I feel so unsafe for so many reasons, and I'm so uncomfortable, and um, he, he said, do you, do you, do you really want to go? It was kind of like that, that go that he, that he gives us, and, um, and I said, yeah, and so, you know, I, I went forward and I, I actually ended up um, still, we've we've built a school in this place. We've done some amazing things, um, but it, I encountered people who had an immense amount of joy, who at first I thought I was there to help, who in turn, in the process of helping build the school, of helping, of listening to what their, their dilemmas are and helping solve them from underneath, not from over top. I have relationships with people who live in this community now. Um, you know, their children are being schooled in this, in this little school, aluminum schoolhouse. Um, this was one of the moments that changed my perspective about what it means. Uh, what actually happened was I went there and I lost a whole lot of stuff about myself. That wasn't wasn't valuable in here. The currency of who I was, it was really cheap. And when I encountered that circumstance, and I encountered those people, I, I encountered a courage and a strength, and and a God who was already there in their midst, and um, who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. All of these scriptures came to life in a much different way they started to mean different things and um so yeah I think that was one of the moments for me that began to change my perspective around when when I go to a place like that and Reverend Carithers I encourage you if you haven't listened to the panel on our website from the Charlotte Justice Conference please go find our website and and listen to that he said Um, this and it just has stayed with me we oftentimes think that we're taking jesus with us to places like that so that we can insert him in their lives and the bible actually says that among them he already is and when we go there we're actually meeting him where he already is it's so good that i could that's what happened to me there and i couldn't have articulated it the way Reverend Carothers did, but he gave words um, to, to what it means to awaken to those spaces um, where Christ already is, and we don't want to look there. We don't want to go, enter in, sit down, stay a while, have a meal. We, we took bread that day, and we broke bread in that space where, where I described. It wrecked me. Um, in such an amazing, radical way. But I've just dominated like 15 minutes of this podcast. Maybe not a, a true minutes, but um, Dr. West, you have told me several stories around some awakening moments to that have changed your perspectives. Do you have one for the audience that particularly stands out?
1: Goodness, yeah. You know, I I come from a national service background one, which means uh, I graduated from college thinking I was going to help the world, and join this AmeriCorps program in Metro Atlanta, uh, thinking that I was going to. And this is often our mentality in serving, save children in this inner city school who have been phrased to me as being at risk. So I had all of this language that really set me up for not realizing the divinity that was already among the the children and and the families, um, that this language makes us blind to the God in people, because the language is already telling us that folks are inferior, that they have a void, and we're there to fill that void. So we actually set ourselves up to be Jesus to people, and he's already there. uh, And he's actually using those moments and communities to change us. Uh, It's often for me, uh, even in my time in Liberia, that when I thought I was going somewhere to help, I discovered myself, and I discovered more of the God in me. So anytime we allow language and, and these misinterpretations of people to set up a narrative for us, that we think instead of building community, we have to go in and save the poor little people who couldn't make it without us. And then we discover the most resilient, powerful people we've ever met. Uh, who are enduring things we could never imagine, and how dare I think um, that uh, the way my life has been, even if I've had some some trials and some rough patches, is not comparable? And I don't try to compare. I think the great thing about God is uh, we were all made for this life, and when we just meet people where we are, Henri Nouwen talks about that being in poverty together, whether it's poverty of spirit or Uh, poverty of resources and the the space where you're just community and nobody's less than per se because they're lacking a a resource Uh, but you definitely don't want to be a community that's okay with anybody not having and i think that's the imbalance that we have the inability to think something's wrong uh you know to not think something's wrong with people Because they lack resources and I I think language has caused us to think the language we've embraced that there is something wrong with people, because they're grappling with poverty. uh, Versus saying something's wrong with society that we have people who are grappling with poverty, so I've had many encounters uh, where I've been sitting in spaces in Liberia in Venezuela. You know, in Venezuela, I think I told you all this story. There's a woman in, in uh, what they call in Venezuela, a, a ghetto. And she had these warts all over her body. And she was living in, as, as I've said, what they call it there, um, an impoverished community. But she wasn't impoverished. I think that's the distinguishing factor. Because just because someone's living, grappling with poverty, uh, doesn't mean they're poor. I've switched my language about all these things. I struggle with calling people poor. I used to say poor people all the time. And now I'm like, I don't know if I want to call a person a poor person because they lack resources, when they may be ex- exponentially wealthy in ways I can not even imagine. And so maybe it's all of the ways we talk about uh, people who live on the margins, who we force there as society. Um, Maybe our language just needs to change, needs to change. That's what I've learned most of all from all of of these experiences.
0: Well, our our language language has been terrible. (laughs) Yeah, our language comes out of the overflow of our heart. Mm -hmm. And that comes out of our understanding and our perspective. And that's what awakening is all about. Yes. It's challenging what's in our hearts and what's in our minds, our perspectives as it pertains to others. And I think you've hit on some things um, in terms of language that needs to shift or would be, it would be beneficial, more beneficial to service work if it did. Let's talk about the church for a second. The church's posture, the church as a whole, you know, this living, breathing organism, the, the posture of the church towards the dis- disenfranchised, the marginalized of society, what are some ways that we could shift our posture to serve more effectively or to meet Christ among them? I, I like the idea since we've kind of gotten to that over this podcast. In your, in your opinions, and either one of you can go first, what can we do a little bit differently to, to meet Christ in the margins a little bit better or more effectively. I think for me, like going off of the story that I told earlier, that first trip to the dump site, when I I went there that night, I couldn't sleep. I was sitting out, it was actually the 4th of July, several years ago, and it was the first one that I had not been in our nation. And I was, it ha, It really had me thinking around um, my patriotism and, you know, God bless America. I was singing these songs on my, or I was playing these songs on my phone um, that I would normally hear at a fireworks show or something like that. But in light of where I'd just been that day, it was challenging my patriotism and it was rubbing up against how that patriotism sometimes hit against my gospel. And it was starting to pull away at it. And it's funny that that happened on a balcony in Cambodia uh, after I'd visited this dump site. But I realized that um, I thought Christ had sent me there to serve. Um, And it was really in in showing up and actually saying, yes, I'll go, uh, he met me there. And he needed to do some things in me through them. So he was actually using them to deconstruct things in my heart that were were poor and and not of, of substance or value. And he was using what was rich in them. You know, the the poor of this earth who had who have little things, but much, much of spirit, much in here. Um, I think when we go. It was the first time in my life, I can honestly say, and I was in my mid-twenties when I went. And I grew up in church my whole life. It was the first time in my life that I saw a service to Christ. Um, that didn't involve me being the Savior going in. It was actually the servanthood that, that went in and washed feet because something in me needed to be deconstructed and built up anew. I really think that's missing.
1: It is. I mean, I I have a mentor who, when I was an AmeriCorps member and then a staff member at an organization, would say to me all the time, service is first and foremost a benefit to the one who's doing the serving. And I found that to be true, that we go in serving, thinking in some way it elevates us morally, and we wind up with this mirror in front of us discovering the ways that we need to shift and change. And it creates this inside out work that I think often because uh, we've Westernized, if I can say it that way, Christianity, to the extent that we're looking at the world from a Western point of view versus from a Christ point of view. And we're looking at things from an American point of view so we're often going into other countries thinking people aren't okay unless they're Americanized, but that doesn't mean they have Christ. And that doesn't mean that uh, we're holistically well because we have Western values. All these different things we say, biblical values, uh, that's what we're looking to bring to people versus are they able to sustain themselves? You know, are they able to, to feed their families? Do they have clean water? where we've actually grown to believe if we go to other nations and they don't embrace faith just the way we do they're not well Mm. when i've encountered people who don't believe all of what i believe and they're very much spiritually okay and it's it just becomes difficult for the body of christ because instead of setting an atmosphere to take christ wherever we go we're thinking we have to change people. And I, um, in and of myself, I don't even have the capacity to change people. Christ can. And if I say I'm an atmosphere for Christ wherever I go, uh, then I'm showing up with a posture and a love that's not about making people American or making people westernized, but it's about letting them know how much Christ loves them and allow, allowing them to, inviting them to experience that atmosphere, that's totally different than we're going to go to somebody's country and make them follow Jesus. Uh, and that's a lot of times what missions is. You know, we're going to go and we're going to take Jesus. They already got it. Jesus. was on the continent of Africa long before anybody was enslaved and brought here. Um, Jesus, you know, if you want to do an anthropology lesson, comes from there. <laughs> so it looks like We're trying to take Jesus back to his homeland. And they're looking at us like, okay.
2: Well, I also don't want to be a part of a church who claims to care about someone's eternal hell and doesn't care about their living hell right now and uphold systems to keep them in a living hell right now. I, I just can't. I can't do that. And if I believe that people and... I want to believe that people are made in the image of God and being conformed to the image of God more does not mean that they are conformed to the image of me. So the idea that the way I practice Christianity is the exact right thing. And for them to become more like Jesus means they'll become more like me. is just not true. It's,
0: not. Yeah, I actually want to hit on a little bit like home because we talked a lot about overseas and I think that helps for context because like I said, it helped me going going over somewhere else to be able to see things that were going on here with a little bit more clarity. Um, But sometimes it seems like we have this idea that poverty equals a lack of work ethic Mm. or that because somebody's um, poor and struggling they don't work hard because I think hard work is something that's highly valued in dominant western culture and the idea of privilege has been something we've avoided so much especially in dominant white culture that we don't see that our hard work sometimes equals something different than someone else's hard work in terms of opportunity and access to um, elevate. Uh, so I just wanted to hit on that a little bit because I'm, I certainly have grown up in the past with this narrative around um, social systems that are set up to help people who are impoverished And this idea that they don't need help, they just need to to go work. And as I grow in my understanding, because I've gone into their scenarios and gotten to know people relationally, um, but also just done more homework and research around why people are in certain circumstances that they're in. um, It seems like there's a greater understanding of systematic things that are in place that have been built upon um, in this American society that keep people in a place of, of poverty. And the church has not typically wanted to go near that. I think the term systematic even causes a lot of white people to to cringe and um, harden themselves and move along. So can we talk a little bit about maybe a Jesus-centered approach to trying to learn about systems that created certain margins, Dr. West, and then maybe some of the um I don't know if we could really get into some of the solution-oriented things tonight, but maybe we can. Um, but can we just start with an approach to being open to learning about systems? How would you start where would you start? And what would you say to someone early on that journey who still feels like they want to back away from the word systematic, period?
1: Mm. I think it's the phrasing. I think when we can compare phrasing today with what was happening, particularly with Jesus, first of all, I think as a a people who say they are Christian, and that means Christ-like should spend a lot more time looking at the encounters that Christ had with people to see the demonstration that Christ and what we're talking about today, when he approached the man at the pool of Bethesda, who said he was still um you know sick because he didn't have anybody to put him in and we're looking at uh, this whole setup of what's happening um, around around this this pool and this area and we think about Jesus talking to the woman at the well and talking to her about what had happened in her life and Jesus and his encounter with people who were hungry in the multitude and needed something to eat the things that he did in response the parable of the good samaritan well where after the Good Samaritan found the man who had been beaten on the road, he didn't just uh, take care of his wounds, he put him in a place where he was safe. These are examples of holistic care that go beyond I'm going to feed you, but are examples of, okay, what can I do to make this situation whole, to make this okay? And, and somewhere along the line, um, our thinking around Jesus and what he would do I don't even think it's that I don't I don't even know if we're asking anymore, by and large, what would what would a Jesus who loved us enough to die for us, do for this person, and this group of people in this situation. Questions like you know would Jesus be okay with kids being in a school to prison pipeline with them already being predetermined that they're going to be in jail. People are making big money from building prisons where they'll be further dehumanized. These are the questions I think that the church has to start asking. But I think we break down this word system to understand that people run systems. Systems just aren't out there operating. There are people who have become complicit in how these systems are operating. And then just asking, is that me? Am I a part of systems that harm people? housing systems, lending systems, health care systems, uh-huh. you know, the, the criminal justice system, all these now education system. Am I a part of that? Then it becomes personal. It's more than that system over there is doing this. You know, am I a part of this system? These are the key questions. And how is my part in this reflective of my love for my neighbor or lack thereof? These are the, the, the Christ-like questions that get us out of some of the language that become barriers for people but the simple question of is there something happening to people that i'm a part of and that i'm okay with and if so whether that's in how there are bail bonds that are different for black people than for white people um, there are different fees that are levied for black families there's land dispossession for indigenous people land dispossession for black people. these these things that the church absolutely should be talking about if not the church if people who say they follow christ don't care about people being dehumanized and harmed who should who would yeah
0: and i I think even some of the words you said the systems that you individually stated are hard for a lot of the white community here like the to hear like the school to prison pipeline is something so foreign and and what that means dissecting it and and how that is a reality is something so foreign to a large portion of the white community that it just seems not real. Um, And so I think for me, one of the questions early on that actually my good friend Bernice King asks often when she speaks with groups or um those various panels is am I okay being okay in a certain area if someone else isn't? So an example of that would be if I live in the neighborhood I live in and my kids go to this school that's a great school, am I okay just having my life being like that when two districts over in the same county their mother's sending their kids to school and it's not okay there. And it's that's inequity. And I think the, a sentiment would be, "Well, will just move to the better district. And it's not always that simple. And so when I, early on in this journey, when she asked, posed that question in one of the panels that I was listening to her speak in, I, that was one of the first thing, I don't, I didn't at the time have a child going to school, but um, it was one of the first things that I really started to dig into. Well, why don't people just move? Um, And it turns out it's a privilege to be able to move in certain instances and circumstances. And in others, um, it turns out that people have historical um, context within their communities. And it goes way back generations and they don't wanna just move. They want their community to be better. But there are certain things in place that are preventing it like redlining that happened back in the 60s and 70s. So go look that up. I discovered redlining because she asked that question and I started looking at education and why certain schools in the same county were different. I just started digging in. And so I think A Jesus centered approach to learning how to fix systematic problems is to start leaning into some of these questions and asking why are things the way they are and just start digging in and you'll be amazed what you find because when you seek truth, it will find you when you start looking for it and you're open to the possibility that you don't have it all figured out. It's amazing how truth will come running after you because Christ is truth. God is light and he divides darkness from light. He divides truth from untruth. When you pursue him, he comes running after you. If you're genuinely trying to understand something to better people who are hurting or who are on the fringes, he's going to send you the right answers. And um, so I just want to leave us with that. And thank both of you for um, this conversation. It's always so enriching. Is there anything else anybody wants to add in closing?
1: I I just would add, in in addition to what you just shared, Jennifer, that Google often is our friend. So sometimes when I'm in sessions and, and facilitating conversations on these topics and people ask questions, I share If you look up racism and the death penalty, you'll see articles about that. If you look up racism and lending, you'll see articles about that. Sexism and pay, you know, the the things that people are talking about, they're real. I told a friend the other day, I said, I don't think you're listening to what people are saying about this issue. I would just encourage you to listen. And uh, she's a dear friend. And I've known her for several years. She's a, a, a white woman. In a profession where uh, she's at the forefront of things, and I said, I think you're hearing your perspective, and I hear the other perspective, too, and there's a meeting in the middle. It's God saying, come, let us reason together, and we often just don't do that, and we lack the desire, I think, a lot to say, let's sit down and talk through this, not just talk about it to dredge up pain, but let's get to some solutions. But there are great ways that we can find information too and be well-informed. And that's important for the church. Uh, Ignorance is not bliss in the kingdom of God. It's not bliss anywhere. We should be, as the body of Christ, the most strategic, intelligent people, intentional people in the world, in the world. And we should not be okay with being uh, ill-informed or uh, not well-informed at all about what's happening to people in the world.
0: amen lauren did you have anything else before we close out
2: yeah i would just say that if pulling you yourself up by your bootstraps was jesus's answer he wouldn't have come Mm -hmm. if that was his answer then the model of salvation and redemption for the world would have been so much different and so anytime our answer for poverty or injustice or being in the margins is pull yourself up by your bootstrap. We are not taking a Jesus-centered approach because that's not what he did.
0: So good. I always love these conversations with you guys. I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, to the white girl awakening podcast and don't forget to join our collective conversation awakening to the margins is something we're going to focus on for the next month and our collective conversation is on sunday october 24th at 7 p.m go to the website you can register for that and we can't wait for you to join our conversation